please take out your Bibles, open them up with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Matthew chapter 19. If you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. Matthew 19, we continue our study of the life of our Lord Jesus is recorded by one of the eyewitnesses. Matthew himself was there. Matthew 19, follow along with me beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let no man separate. Verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your, the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. As we continue our study now and we take a look at the timeline of where we find ourselves here at the beginning of chapter 19, note it says that Jesus leaves now the Galilee region, enters into the area of Judea, and this will be the last time Jesus is in Galilee. We're going to see in just another chapter or so the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem of the week of the Passion where he would suffer and die for, to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. We're going to see that, that this now is a transition again into this final time of Jesus' life here on earth. He told us the reason that he's going. He told the disciples the reason. He's going to reiterate that again in chapter 20. He's going to suffer and to die and to be raised again. And we see that he continues doing the ministry that he's been doing. People are continuing to come. We also see that... The Pharisees are still there, the Pharisees that are here. And Matthew points out to us why why they ask him the things that they're asking. They're testing him. And we're going to see that that ramps up even more and more, especially when he gets to Jerusalem in the week leading up to his death. They come to him here in our verses here this morning that we've begun to look at in verse 3. They're testing him. They're trying to trip him up. And they bring him a question concerning divorce. And they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Now, just a little background on this. And we need to understand the the times and the things that were going on in, in Israel at the time. It was a time that was very lax in morality. It was time a time where marriage was just a piece of paper. And if you weren't happy with your marriage, it could just be thrown away. Now, I know we're going to have to really use our imagination in this (laughs) because things have so changed, haven't they? (laughs) 
the question that they're asking, again, they're trying to get Jesus to be divisive. They're trying to get Jesus to trip up. They're trying to somehow blow up this following that he has, again, for their own selfish reasons. But their question that they're asking does have some biblical backing, some Old Testament backing. They're questioning about Moses, and this points back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. In verse 1, Moses did say, if a man takes a wife, and the wording goes, and finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some indecency in her. She no longer finds favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her. That's, he's able to then divorce her. That Moses put that out there in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Now that left it wide open for the rabbis to take, take that and say, okay, well, what does it mean that indecency and, and that his eyes, there's no favor in his eyes? All of these different rabbis coming up with these, some very liberal, some very conservative, two main schools at the time of Jesus, Rabbi Shammai was extremely conservative, and he said, what Moses is speaking of there concerns only adultery, no other reason. Now, that's the very conservative role. The Rabbi Hillel was extremely liberal, and his school was that basically anything that wasn't pleasing to the man was fair game, including burning your breakfast. One rabbi even took it so far as to say if another woman is more pleasing in your sight, that's your wife's fault, and you can divorce her and go after the other. Let's just guess which was more popular at the time. Now, again, they're trying to, to come at Jesus to test him, to trip him up, but Jesus takes this, and I love it. This is what Jesus does, and he'll continue to do this totally baffling them at every turn they try to do this. He takes it and makes it a teaching opportunity. They're coming in with a question about divorce. He turns it into a teaching opportunity about marriage. Have you not read? Hitting them right where it hurts for them. Because, of course, they're going to say, well, of course we've read. They're the ones who read and understand and explain. And Jesus is saying, have you not read? He who created, verse 4, from the beginning... He who created from the beginning, created man, created man and woman, takes them right back to the beginning, takes them back to the very source. And just by the way, if you have a problem with the beginning, you're going to have a problem with the rest. If you have a problem with Genesis 1-1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you're going to have a problem with everything that follows behind it. That's why it's so important that we teach the word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, all of it, the entire counsel of God. What does it say? What does it mean? It's not up to us to change it. It's not up to us to do anything. If you have a problem with creation in Genesis 1, you're going to have a problem with marriage in Genesis 2. If you have a problem with creation in Genesis 1 and marriage in Genesis 2, you're going to have a problem with the fall and redemption in chapter 3. It will continue to snowball from that point forward. We take the word of God for what it says. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is his word. It does not change. He goes back to the beginning with them. And notice he points out in the verses that we looked at that the creator God, created from the beginning first in verse 4 he created man and he created them male and female god looked at all of his creation and he said that it tells us that he saw it and it was good 
all of it, except one thing, that man was alone. That man did not have a suitable helper for him. God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. Ladies, that's you. If you don't like that definition of being called the helper of man, don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Now, before you get, oh, just listen. We needed help. <laughs> and we still do. God noticed that Adam had a need before Adam knew he had a need, and he caused him to fall asleep. It says he took from his side. Trans, some translations say rib. can be translated either way. I like side better. He took a side out of Adam and created woman, the only suitable helper for a man. He created man, male and female, verse 4. He created family, verse 5. This... Therefore, because of this, because of what God created here, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Leaving and cleaving, if you have that version. Leaving parents, speaking of the bond of unity between a husband and wife, is stronger than any other human relationship, including with your children. The husband and wife relationship. That word to be joined, to cleave, literally means to be glued, to be cemented together. And I love that. I love that. My wife's sitting back there. Baby, you're stuck with me. <laughs> we are stuck together. It's the closest possible union. It's a spiritual union doesn't have to do with cohabitation and procreation. The animals do that. It's different. This has to do with consecration, being set apart for one another. He created man. Verse 5, he created family. Verse 6, he created one body. The two shall become one flesh. And he goes on to say what God has joined together, what God has yoked literally together, brought together. Let no man separate. Ecclesiastes speaks of a three-braided rope that is not easily broken. When I do wedding ceremonies, I often will try to convince the bride and the groom that instead of doing the, the unity candle lighting, that they do a sand ceremony where they pour into one large vase colors, three different colors. The groom chooses one color, the bride chooses another color, and then white for the Holy Spirit or the Lord, and they pour those in three, and it, they're all mixed together, and it has this beautiful thing when it's all done that could be set up on a mantle or somewhere as a constant reminder, but the constant reminder is that's not getting separated. We're not going to go grain by grain and separate all that out. God has brought this together, and we are knit together in the Lord. No civil contract can do this, creating one body. Only God can do that. Bringing together 
to. But it has to be agreed upon by the husband and the wife through obedience. God doesn't just say, okay, guys, figure this out. He tells us in his word how we are to do this. Keep your finger here and turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 5. He gives us the blueprint. And just by way of introduction, as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, these are not suggestions. <laughs> these are commands. This isn't a try this. This is a do this. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to start in verse 15. I want to read through the end of the chapter, but I want you to follow along with me. And this is a this is a entire teaching in itself, probably hour, hour and a half. So don't worry, I'll have you out by kickoff. But <laughs> just kidding. Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God's will for us explained in his scripture right now. You want to know what God's will is for your life? If you're married, pay attention. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. The rest of what we're going to cover is impossible unless we are spirit-filled believers. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in fear, in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is also head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their own husbands and everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. He lays it out. First of all, wives, you're to be subject to your husbands as the church is subject to Christ. Note it doesn't say part of the time. It says to be subject to your husbands all of the time. Now, that does not mean that you are a slave. It does not mean that you're a doormat. It does not mean that you are somehow less in quality. It doesn't mean any of that. The word literally means to place yourself under in an orderly fashion. There needs to be order. And so God outlines that order for us. And ladies, it needs to be a choice. Are you going to obey the word of God or not? Are you going to consent to what the authority is that God has placed over you taking a husband. It's a self-offering. 
It's a willing submission. And again, it's not part of the time. Now, husbands, notice it says, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus love the church? First, it's unconditionally. He loved us before we loved him. It's not in reciprocation. So, our love for our wives is not predicated on their submitting to us. Period. Not just when they're good. Because, again, he loved us when we wanted nothing to do with him. Sacrificially, he gave himself up for her. What are you willing to give up for your wife? What is it of you that needs to die to give up for your wife? Actively. He washes us as the church, as it says here. I love what it says in Colossians chapter 1, speaking of this thing. And again, we as the bride of Christ, it says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He suffered and died in our place so that he can present before him a spotless, pure bride. We are not perfect. (laughs) But Jesus says, I'm making my bride beautiful. There's not, there's not a whole lot of redeeming qualities in the story of Abraham when he goes down into a foreign country and he says to his wife, Sarah, tell him that you're my sister. Because if they know we're married, they'll kill me. Because you are so beautiful, they are gonna, they'll, they'll kill me to get you. Now, again, we look at that, that's cowardly, that, you know, all of this type of stuff, not trusting in the Lord, not much redeeming in that. Except, I'll make one exception. Sarah was 90 years old. And Abraham still thought she was that beautiful. She was the most beautiful woman on the planet to him. And he said, baby, if they see you and they they think we're married, they'll kill me. Guys, if you want a beautiful queen, treat her like one. Put her before you as spotless. We're not to be embittered towards them. We're not to be harsh and angry. Guys, we need to treat our wives for the beautiful vessels that they are. They're different than we are. Praise the Lord for that. Wives are like that fine crystal, and we're like ceramic coffee mugs. But that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Don't put unfair expectations on your wives. And wives, by the way, the same goes for you. Don't put unfair expectations on us. We're, we're clunky mugs. Don't, don't expect us to get in touch with our feminine side because we don't have one. It got taken out of us to make you, remember? That, we don't have it anymore. If we follow God's outline, it works. 
It works. Guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. Prove me wrong. If you love your wife the way Christ loved the church, unconditionally, sacrificially, actively, gently, patiently, humbly, you love your wife like that, show me a woman that won't willingly submit to a man like that. Guys, it's up to us. I'm going to just say it straight out. We're the leaders in the home. Lead. Love. It works. They asked, they asked a question back in our text. They said, so, so why is it that Moses allowed for divorce? Jesus answers the question. He doesn't duck it. It's right there. Because of the hardness of your heart. Because you're selfish. Because you make it all about you. That's why. If you su willingly submit to one another, you won't have this issue. You won't be talking about it. Guys, bottom line, bottom line. Marriage problems are lordship problems. If you have a problem in your marriage, it's because Jesus is not on the throne of your heart. One of you, or both of you, need to surrender your life completely and totally to Jesus. Make him lord of your life. Put him on the throne of your heart. He said, it's because of the hardness of your heart. It works. This formula here works. I know. I know. Because my marriage with my beautiful wife was transformed when I started trying with all that I have to love her as Christ loved the church. That's what changed it. Now, we still have our moments of intense fellowship. Don't get me wrong. I'll tell you, most of the time, it's again when I'm starting to try to take, sit back on the throne. This works. If you're here today and your marriage is on the rocks, submit. Surrender to the Lord Jesus. All of it. Let him speak to you and work in your marriage. That three braided rope. He addresses divorce. We need to understand that divorce is sin in the eyes of God. He hates divorce. Divorce is sin, but it is not the unforgivable sin. Many people label it that way. You've been divorced, you're done. God's not done with you. If, you're, if you've been married and divorced, God is not done with you. It is sin. But the Bible says we are to confess our sin. And God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Recognize it as sin. You repent of your sin. God wants to restore and to use The disciples, verse 10, it's interesting, after hearing Jesus speak this way, they say, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. It's not the point, guys. <laughs> Again, Jesus speaking of that marriage 
union as the most special one outside of the, the relationship with the Lord Jesus, the relationship with your spouse. But he said to them, not all can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who have been born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are also eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Again, this is not, Jesus not saying avoid marriage and if you just can't help it, get married. That's not at all the point. That's not Paul's point when he speaks of that either. He's saying that there are some that God has called to be single. And if God has given you that as a gift, to be single, not feeling that you, you have that desire to be married, use that for his glory. Serve him with your entire life. Submit to what God has for you. But if he has for you to be married, you are all in. There is no plan B. Surrender to one another under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, verse 13, it says, Then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone and do not hinder them. From coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. After laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Here we have the story which is commonly referred to as the rich young ruler. We see in our text here that he's young, that he's rich. Luke tells us that he's a ruler, and we can kind of guess maybe because of the, his familiarity with the law and the way he presents himself that maybe he's a ruler in the synagogue, but we don't know that. What we do know, and we can see again, rich young ruler, that he has youth, he has money, he has power. All of the things that we as a culture worship. All of us trying to get younger, <laughs> or at least look that way. All of us trying to get more money and more power. That's what our culture worships. And this guy has it all. He has all of that. Yet notice he realizes that there's still something missing. He has all of these things that he's probably been chasing after. Some things may be given to him. But he stands on the pinnacle of all of these things. So many people looking to him and saying, man, I wish I could be like that. I wish I had what he has. And he's thinking, there's got to be something more. There has to be, but he doesn't know what it is. So he comes to Jesus. In the other accounts, it tells us that he comes to him and says, good teacher. And Jesus answers, and we see here, why, why are you coming to me? Why do you call me good? There's only one that is good. And that 
this young man doesn't dispute that. So I believe he has some understanding that he's either, that he is talking to a representative of God. I believe that. And he comes and he says, what must I do? Now we know it's not doing that gets us to heaven, but Jesus doesn't correct him there. Jesus sees the heart. And so he engages in the conversation with this young man. What must I do? He says, well, keep the commandments. And you got to love the question that he asks, which ones? <laughs> and Jesus, again, doesn't come back and say, what kind of question is that? All of them. He engages in the conversation with him. And he lists the fifth through the ninth commandments, those that have to deal with our relationship with one another. And he throws in Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself, the heart behind those commandments. So he explains that to this man. And I love this again, his response. Well, Jesus, all of those I've kept since I was a little boy. And again, Jesus doesn't say, are you kidding me? Really? Where were you on the Sermon of the Mount? I suppose you missed that Sunday. Matthew, get him a copy of the CD so he can listen to it. When I laid out the fact that, that if it's not just physically murdering your brother that we're talking about. If you hate your brother, you've committed murder. It's not just physical adultery. But if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He doesn't go into all of that again. Jesus has a, a deeper point he wants to get to with this young man. As a matter of fact, instead of becoming indignant instead of becoming argumentative mark tells us then when that young man said that it says that jesus looked at him and felt love for him that's our jesus he looked at him and he felt love for him see love's never the issue his love was poured out for us on the cross it's not a love thing it's not a his heart thing. It's an our heart thing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That love that he felt towards that young man is the same love that he feels towards you and me today. Jesus makes this statement. He says, if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want to be, the word is actually literally means perfect. It doesn't mean sinless, but it means lacking nothing. It's the same word that James uses in James chapter 1 when speaking of what trials do to us. If you want to be this whole, complete, Jesus says you got to do one thing. You got to get, get rid of whatever it is between you and me, whatever it is that is keeping you from following me completely and follow me. This man, it was wealth. This man had all of this money and possessions. And Jesus says, you have to get rid of that. That is what is keeping you. That is the thing in your life that is keeping you from being complete and whole. You have to get rid of that and follow me completely. What is it in your life? What, it is, what is it in your life that is standing between you and wholly and completely following Jesus? Is it alcohol? Drugs? Pornography? Some other 
sexual relationship, maybe a relationship that you're having outside of your marriage, or perhaps you're not married, living together. What is it that is standing between you and following Jesus with all that you are? It might not be necessarily something that that is outlined for us in the Word of God as sin. Having money is not a sin. That's not this man's sin. Being wealthy is not a sin. There are many in the Bible that had a lot of money that were godly people. But this money is his God, and that's what we see. What is it in your life that if Jesus told you today, I want you to get rid of that completely and follow me, that you would struggle with doing it? That has become an idol in your life. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want to be all that you can be, you want to have joy beyond anything that you've ever experienced, you need to put that away forever and follow Jesus. If alcohol made people happy, Drunks would be the happiest people on the planet. If sex did, prostitutes would be the happiest people on the planet. If fame and fortune would be, then all of the Hollywood actors and actresses that, play, that are all plastered all over the tabloids in total despair constantly, they'd be the happiest people. It's not. None of that brings lasting happiness. None of that is the answer. Following Jesus wholly and completely is the answer. It tells us in the next verse as we look at this, after Jesus said, this is what you must do to have this, to be complete. Notice verse 22. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who could be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, with people it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus revealed to this man what it would be for him to be complete and to be whole. And it says, instead of doing that, he went away grieving. It doesn't say he went away angry. It doesn't say he went away mocking Jesus. He went away grieved. He, he wouldn't go away grieved unless he knew that what Jesus said was true, but he was unwilling to do it. So again, I ask you the question, what is it that God has continually been speaking to you about getting rid of? If you do not, you will be like this man, grieved. You will never have the joy that you could have. You will never understand all that God wants to do in and through you until you do it. We've seen in our study through the book, through the book of Matthew that when Jesus called Andrew and Peter, and when he called James and John and he said, follow me, it says they put down their nets and immediately followed Jesus. Matthew, 
a rich tax collector sitting at his tax booth. Jesus said, follow me. Matthew left it all and followed Jesus. I guarantee you, as, as surely as I'm standing right here, that none of them are in heaven right now saying, man, that was a mistake. I wish I'd have kept that fishing business. Not one of them. They don't regret a moment. The joy that comes when we, when we sell out completely and respond to what Jesus has for us. Again, Jesus is speaking of the heart issue. Even when he says here it's, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, he's saying for those that have riches on the throne of their hearts, those that, that, that money has them, not them having money, if you understand what I mean. Again, it's not a sin to have money, but if that is your God, that is a big problem. And Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than if something else is in a lordship role in your life than for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, some have said that that eye of the needle camel thing points to the fact that there was the city gates and at night they would close the city gates and next to the big city gates there was a little gate and people could walk through but there's no way a camel could get through unless you took off all of his bags he got down on his knees and you pushed him through great sermon illustration because yeah get rid of your baggage you get down on your knees humble yourself great sermon illustration but totally bogus that's not at all what Jesus is referring to the only way to get through the, a camel through the eye of the needle that they're speaking of because they're talking about a sewing needle, the only way that that can take place is with a blender and a lot of time. That is, that's, uh, Jesus, as a matter of fact, says it's impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. And if you're here today, and again, the Lord is speaking to your heart about some things. In your own, it's impossible. You cannot. And the enemy will try to convince you and try to point to this and the fact you've tried to quit this before, you've tried to do this before. It's not a matter, again, of you. It's a matter of submission. It's a matter of lordship. And if you are here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, You've never trusted in him, and him alone is your, for your salvation. And you have never made him Lord of your life. Do not leave here today without responding to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart. Because if you do, you will go away grieved. You might say, oh, next time. What I, next time, you know, I, I need to hear more about this. I, I can't guarantee you there will be a next time. This young ruler, we don't know the end of his story. All we know is the end of this story, that he went away grieved. What if he said, I'll wait until Jesus comes back through? See what he has to say. Jesus isn't coming back through. He's on his way to Jerusalem to die. To suffer and die for, for your sin and mine. Don't, don't say next time. Respond to the Holy Spirit now. If you don't, you will become grieved and your heart will become harder. It's again a matter of submitting, laying your life down. You will never regret it. But for those of you who are believers in the room today, this message is for us too. And I say us because it's been, again, working me over. What is it in me? What is it in me, Lord, that you want me 
to put down. Again, it might not be a, a sinful thing according to the word of God, but it's gotten between me and following him wholly and completely. What is it in your life? Are you willing to lay it down? Are you willing again to put him as Lord? Follow him completely? Do you want to be complete? That's his desire for you. Let's pray.